Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me is Talis Teixeira. He is the Associate Professor at Harvard Business School and author of the new book, Unlocking the Customer Value Chain, How Decoupling Drives Consumer Disruption. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. We got a chance to meet briefly. I read an article in the Harvard Business Review this last month that really piqued my interest. It was called Disruption Starts with Unhappy Customers, Not Technology. So I wanted to have you on the show to talk a little bit about that particular research as well as the new book that you have out and what you're seeing in the world of disruption and innovation. Before we get started, why don't we tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you got on this journey of researching and looking at consumer behavior and innovation space. I'm originally from Brazil. I came to the U.S. in 2004 to do a Ph.D. at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And at the time, I was doing research on trying to use technologies such as eye tracking and facial expression analysis to film people's faces while they watched TV commercials, while they watched video ads, while they watched and forwarded online via ads. And that area of my research became what I eventually called the economics of attention. And for the past 12 plus years, 10 years as being a professor at the Harvard Business School, I've led this area of economics of attention. And I have a website, www.economicsofattention.com. And I try to help big companies and small companies to understand the value of customer attention, where to get it, how to measure it, how to evaluate the cost of it, and how to buy attention more effectively. But from then on, in the past eight years, I've started getting requests from uh, clients that I did consulting with and trying to understand a little bit more about digital disruptors. Uh, Basically, these big established companies were being threatened by startups and tech companies, and they were realizing that they were having troubles dealing with them. Originally, when I would ask them, who is disrupting your business? And they would say, well, startup X is disrupting my business. Mm -hmm. If I asked what is disrupting your business, they would say, technology, why is disrupting your business? And after doing the research, what I realized that neither technologies nor startups disrupt markets. It is the customer who disrupts markets because the customer and their changing needs and wants and respective changes in behaviors, that's what creates the opportunity for new business models. And it just happens that many startups are just faster at delivering these new evolving needs for the customer, but it's not fundamentally predicated upon having such an innovative new technology. In many cases, companies like Netflix, Airbnb, Uber, Etsy, even Amazon in the early days, they didn't have any new technology. What they have was a better understanding and quicker delivery of new products and service to customers. So it comes down to almost the business model and and how new companies are addressing a business model towards that customer, meeting their needs when they need to meet it. That's right. Talk a little bit about the fact that when I do consulting as well, I talk to corporations and a lot of times they tell me, well, we know our customers. And so, you know, we can't be disrupted because we know our customers. We've been serving them for 20 years. Why do you think larger corporations oftentimes fall into that trap of not being able to identify the next level of consumer dissatisfaction and being able to adapt to that? So that's a great question, Brian. And I've actually had this question for quite a while. 
I never seem to get really a perfect understanding of why companies fail to understand and adapt to their customer needs and wants. When I talk to these companies, I, all of them, without an exception, tell me, the executives tell me, we are very customer centric. Mm -hmm. I've never heard, actually, there was one case, only one company, the CEO told me that they weren't customer centric, but almost everybody else saying, we are definitely customer centric. We care about our customers. They are the ones who pay for our services. And so we know them very well and we care about them. But the reality is that many of these established companies, they care about their customers, but they are obsessed about their competitors. They're tracking their competitors every move. They respond to market forces and they value and understand. They're always figuring out the prices and the products that are being launched and they're responding to that. And, you know, it turns out that you can't really be focused on two types of entities 100% of the time. And so when you focus on your competitors, you end up not focusing as much as you should on your customers. Jeff Bezos from Amazon had this great quote that I love saying, which is, he says, you know, our competitors' managers, when they're taking a shower at night, they're focusing on their competitors. And in our company at Amazon, when we're taking showers at night, we're just thinking about what can we do better for our customers. So it goes through this idea that new customers come to markets and they have new requirements. And sometimes the companies just choose, they either don't fully understand it or they choose not to respond to those as effectively because they're really focused on competitors. Hey listeners, I wanted to pause this episode to bring you a special announcement. We are bringing back the IO Summit. Yes, the third annual Inside Outside Innovation Summit is coming October 20th through the 22nd. This year's theme is talent, technology, and the future of innovation. If you are an entrepreneur, innovator, corporate leader, looking to future-proof your organization, showcase your startup, or just mix and mingle with some of the best and the brightest in the world of innovation, don't miss this immersive event, October 20th through 22nd. Check out tickets at theiosummit.com. Yeah, and it seems a lot of times when corporates are looking at the consumer landscape, a lot of the early needs of a consumer may change and maybe the problems that they're trying to solve, maybe not big enough for the yeah. incumbent to take a stake at and then gives an opportunity for the startup to begin that relationship with the customer and over time grow that relationship and build out a, you know, an empire of themselves. That's right. If you think about it, it's quite easy to respond to your competitors. First, you have only a handful of them. At most, you might have one, two, three, or maybe five or 10. And whatever they do is obviously you can see it because Somehow in the market, it appears their responses. So tracking and then responding to competitors is easy. What is hard is actually understanding your customers. You don't have a handful of them. You might have either from a few thousand or, you know, some cases like Coca-Cola, a few million customers in right. the U.S. or many tens of millions. And monitoring them is not something easy, right? Whatever they do, it doesn't really appear in the business magazine. Person A did this, person B did that. And so it's harder to evaluate, and many companies often outsource the market research tasks to other companies, focus group companies, market research companies, and that already shows that you're not really valuing them as much if you're not doing the work. Right. And so it's not hard to imagine why managers on their day-to-day -day prefer just to track their competitors. Let's talk about the new book you have out. So it's called Unlocking the Customer Value Chain how decoupling drives consumer disruption. So why don't we give a little overview of the book and what you expect the reader to kind of get out of it? 
Sure. So the book basically first it started out looking from the beginning of the internet when the internet becomes actually popular around 1994 and shows that disruption isn't something continuous over time that happens a little bit every year. It turns out there's so-called waves of digital disruption, meaning nothing happens for a few years and something happens in the market that creates a wave of disruption in certain markets. And there are a few of these waves in the past. The first big wave was called unbundling, in which startups and tech companies started to unbundle products and selling pieces to customers. So think of New York Times selling you a bunch of products in a newspaper and then Google, Yelp, Craigslist, each offering a piece of that, what used to be a newspaper. The second wave was called a disintermediation, happened around 1999, 2000. Basically, the idea of startups coming out and cutting out the middleman. And this third wave is what I've identified and I explore in the book, in which startups are looking at the customer value chain or the activities that customers engage in order to acquire goods and services and breaking up those links and taking one activity at a time. So for example, if I were to buy a flat screen TV, I'd probably go to Best Buy. At Best Buy, my customer value chain or my activities that I do is I have a need, I look at the options, I ask for the salesperson to help me, I select one option, I get the product, I pay for it, I take it home, I use it, eventually I dispose of it, throw it away or, or resell it. And so these all these activities are done uh, Best Buy does them on my behalf, right? I can uh, fulfill them with Best Buy. And so this is what incumbent companies, large companies do. They do all these activities. And suddenly when Amazon came from selling books to selling electronics, and new people needed to test products. So instead of building stores and helping people test and evaluate products to buy, they actually said, you know, why don't you go to Best Buy and look at all these options and then pull out our app and we have a new feature that allows you to take a picture or scan a barcode. And then you'll see the prices that we sell that same product. And if it's cheaper, and most of the time it was, you can buy it online. So this is what I call decoupling. It's choosing one activity, in this case, just fulfilling the sale of a product for the customer and letting the established companies do the rest. So Best Buy, would, with its salespeople, with its inventory, and its stores would allow you to evaluate and choose products, but actually you did what is now called showrooming you would buy online. It's one thing for a corporate to say, we kind of get this, we understand what's going on, both disintermediation and now different folks are trying to take different parts of the value chain that we've originally delivered to our customers. It's one thing to understand that theoretically and that what are some of the case studies or the examples of companies that have been able to do something about that? Or have you seen an ability to actually stop this process? The usual response goes as following. So you are Best Buy and or Sephora if you sell cosmetics and then people come to your store and they decouple the activity by trying to figure out what they want to buy in your stores and then they buy online. So what do you do? Because decoupling is this breaking of the links, when you think conceptually about somebody coming in, breaking something of yours, your instinctive response is first to forbid them, not let them break it and glue back what somebody has broken. And that in the book I call recoupling and that's by and large, the standard response of established companies. They try basically to tell their clients, you can't do this with us anymore. And so even Best Buy managers, at one point, they even thought about the ludicrous idea of installing uh, signal jamming devices in their stores, just like those that are used in prisons, to not allow people to use cell phones in the store. As a shopper, you wouldn't be able to practice showroom. You couldn't choose in the store and then buy it online on Amazon. 
But, you know, obviously they realized this was going against the customer's needs and wants. This is like attacking your customer, not attacking the problem, so to speak. And, but that's what happened. Telecom operators, financial services, banks, they all tried to recouple by either creating contracts or using technology or using other means to not allow customers to decouple. It didn't work. It doesn't work. It's basically, you know, the dam is about to burst and you're trying to patch it up. Why is the dam bursting? Because consumers are changing their behavior. Consumers want to show room. And so after a while, once you really understand that if you, you can't fight your customers on a new evolving behavior, you have to accept and change your business model to respond to that. And Best Buy eventually, the CEO, Berger Lee, did it very well when he started realizing that basically the reason people were showrooming is because the prices are cheaper online than they are offline. So first he price matched. He created a policy to price match. If you show an online price, we will, you know, match that price. But obviously that creates an internal problem for Best Buy because it has a much big cost structure. It has stores, it has employees that Amazon and online e-commerce companies don't. So he needed to figure out a new revenue generation method, right? What we call a monetization strategy to make sure that Best Buy was sustainable. And what he understood is that when people go to showroom, Obviously, shoppers are getting a lot of value from this activity, but also manufacturers or the suppliers of Best Buy were getting value from it. So if you're Samsung and you sell through Best Buy and a consumer showroom go to your store but buys online on Amazon, whether you sold that TV as Best Buy or Amazon sold it, regardless, Samsung was benefiting out of it. So this benefit needed to be charged. And so Best Buy, what it essentially decided to do is to charge for the shelf space of all of those TVs and electronics that were placed in its stores. It decided to charge the manufacturer for it, whether it sold the product or not, because it realized that it was creating value for manufacturers. It tested and validated, and for the first time, it started charging manufacturers for the privilege to showcase their products. The showcasing was a value-created activity. And so it evolved its business model in a very, very successful manner, such that, number one, this does not go against consumers' evolving behavior, which is showroomy, actually goes in favor, and it doesn't fight back your attacker. It doesn't try to fight Amazon. You know, Amazon's not going to go away, so you need to figure out a way to be sustainable by coexisting with that. We're seeing it, obviously, happening in industries like retail and that. What are some of the trends that you're seeing, and, and is this prevalent across different industries? It's ubiquitous to the industries I've looked at. And when I was doing research, I thought to myself, okay, decoupling is starting to happen in retailing. And then I started decoupling happening in media, meaning the media companies who create the content are not the ones who distribute it. There's so many media companies that are creating news, but the biggest distributor today is uh, Facebook. And so that was happening in media. It was happening in financial services as well, insurance, education, transportation, consumer goods, all sorts of industries. I started seeing decoupling happening. And it turns out there's only three possible forms of decoupling. There's a decoupling of value creating activities, which essentially a startup steals a value creating activity. There's a decoupling of value eroding activities, which is essentially a startup or a tech company that decides to eliminate for the consumer the requirement to do a value eroding activity. For example, when we used to rent DVDs, we would have to go to a store or go to Blockbuster. And when Netflix moved to ship the DVDs to our homes, basically eliminated the need for us to go to the store, which eliminates a value eroding activity. And then the last type is a 
eliminating value capturing activity. And standard example are all these video game companies that allow you to play the game for free, right? On what we right. call free products. So all across these industries, there's only three types of digital disruption through decoupling. And that's kind of the pattern that I identified. Obviously, this is happening and companies are thinking more and more about it. What are some of the things they should be looking at or doing so that they don't get decoupled? Basically, the reason decoupling is working is because consumers are looking for lower costs to acquire goods and services. And when I mean when I say costs, I mean not just monetary, not costs, not just the money that they have to spend, but the effort and the time that they engage in order to acquire goods and services. Think of it this way. We are all consumers, whether we are people, we are companies, we are the government, we are clients, and we're trying to minimize the monetary, the time, and the effort costs that we have to pay to acquire these goods and services. And decoupling is operating because these startups are reducing these costs, either to make it cheaper, easier, faster, more convenient to do so. So if you're a large company or an established company, you can be a little restaurant in Main Street, USA. You need to really think about what are the costs for your customers to engage with your business and compare those with other, you know, competitors, startups, tech companies. And if you're losing customers to them, the digital disruption, it's because they're using either technology or business model innovations in order to minimize those costs. And that's why you're losing customers, because of the costs. The business model, the technology is just an enabler of this. And so focus on measuring these costs. And my book has a, a method to measure these three costs. And then comparing them to all of your competitors and figuring out how you can minimize these costs for your customers. Basically, there's only three ways for you to improve your relationship with new customers, current customers, or prospects. You either create more value for them, you reduce value eroding activities for them, or you reduce value charging activities. These are only the three ways that no matter what company is selling what product or service, that's the three approaches. And I think the main thing to remember is it all starts with the customer. At that point, you've got to have a, a relationship with the customer to know what they need and what they want and be able to deliver that to them. So Talis, thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation. I look forward to digging into the book. I encourage everybody to pick a copy up. It's called Unlocking the Customer Value Chain. If people want to find out more about the book or about yourself, what's the best way to do that? Look up my website, www.decoupling.co. That's decoupling.co. And there, there's a lot of new research articles, my book, talks, and so on and so forth. Excellent. Well, thank you very much again for being on Inside Outside Innovation. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.